Yesterday, my wife and I uh, went to Home Depot to procure materials for a planting box in our backyard. And as we worked our way down the shopping list of things we need, the cart in front of me got heavier and heavier and heavier. And once you get about 10 cubic feet of soil, plus the stone that needs to be underneath, plus the wood for the planting box, you end up with a cart that is almost too heavy to push. And as we loaded it into the back of the car, I thought, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it home? Well, we did, but it was a lot of work. The old Yiddish expression, I believe, is schlepping, right? Carrying heavy things somewhere for some reason, although it's more like that ancient legend about the man who is cursed to perpetually push the heavy stone up the mountainside, right? Remember that story from maybe your Western Civ class or when you studied mythology? Yeah. What was his name again? Sisyphus. Sisyphus. See, you remember the story better than I do. <laughs> right. So much, it seems, of life in the church these days is like that. It is sort of like schlepping. It is sort of like the curse of Sisyphus, they're pushing the stone uphill. And I'm getting ready to leave for general convention, and I was, I was bemoaning to Annette this morning, you know, I was starting to say, I understand why people say, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. It's just easier to stay home, easier to stay out of the way, out of the bureaucratic places of power, and out of all of that. In some ways, it's a frustrating time to be church, and yet we are schlepping things around so that we can plant in this green growing season in the hope that God's grace will raise up something abundant. But we are confronted day in and day out, it seems, with our sense of powerlessness in the face of a world that has changed so dramatically in just a handful of generations. And yet we have this institution that was built at sort of the pinnacle when the church was the center of respectability. How do we bring those two realities together without a train wreck? Or maybe with a train wreck, I don't know. One of the primary themes of today's readings is precisely about powerlessness and we begin with this beautiful reading about King David. Many of you will remember last week we heard about the youthful David slaying Goliath and becoming the hero of the moment. And you could almost hear the doors of power opening to him. He was the heir apparent to the throne after that. David could do no wrong. He had slain the most feared warrior of the Philistines with just a slingshot. Today we hear a different side to David after he returns from the battle with the Amalekites and he is confronted with the death of Saul and his beloved Jonathan. And David realizes that all of this power that he has been given and received comes with an awful price. 
a terrible price even. Jonathan, for those of you who know this story, and David were very, very close. So close, in fact, there's a lot of speculation about how intimate they really were. What we do know from this story is that they pledged themselves to one another. And that they were so close that David would never be close to anyone like he was close to Jonathan again. Surpassing the love of women, even, as David puts it in his lament. David has lost everything most dear to him as he sits on the threshold of becoming the great king of Israel. And he will spend the rest of his days wrestling, as all good leaders must wrestle with, the humility that is necessary to maintain the truth in good leadership and good faith, and the power that is always pulling the leaders and people around them towards corruption. It is an ancient story, and it is a story yet that is as pressing to us today as it was 3,000 years ago. And the faith that David will discover comes in those moments when he realizes he is powerless, when he is vulnerable, when he is exposed, and quite frankly, when he is wrong. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, beseeching, I believe, for them to give to those in need in Macedonia, other Christian communities, and also beseeching them to relinquish the power of having authority over their own destiny. To set down what the world tells us day in and day out we need, and that is a sense of control. Because, as Paul reminds them, Jesus came among us not as someone powerful, but as someone who was empty, who was impoverished, who was vulnerable. And then we have this amazing gospel from Mark today, where the center characters of the story are nameless. Jairus' daughter and the woman who is ill. You can't think of two more powerless people in Jesus' culture. Jairus' daughter was a child and children, particularly girls quite honestly, in Jesus' day were virtually worthless to the wider society. They cost money. You married them off, maybe with a dowry. Maybe they could help around the household when they came of age. But until they reached that point, they were a drag on the economy of the household, and many of them would die. And yet Jairus is fascinating because even as powerful as he is, as a leader of the synagogue and as influential as he is, he is at his wit's end, out of love for his daughter, out of hope that maybe Jesus can heal her. 
The woman in the crowd is not much greater than that. In fact, she may be even less. She has been hemorrhaging for years, and in Jesus' culture, that means she is completely ritually impure and basically untouchable, which tells us a number of things. She probably has no husband. She has no one to help look after her. The people who are attributed with power in her society, the physicians and healers, have been able to do nothing for her. She has zero, and maybe even less than zero. And yet it is her faith once again, Mark discloses, that rises head and shoulder above the crowds and even the disciples. She takes the mustard seed of faith that she has and she says, even if I can just touch, touch his cloak, I will be healed. One of my seminary classmates who comes out of Western Africa would talk about what it means to have a life of faith in a world that is extraordinarily impoverished. Francis said to me once, and it will always stay with me, he said, Richard, he said, you do not know what faith and trust in God is until you do not know where your next meal is coming from. Think about that vulnerability, that complete exposure, that complete lack of power. See the faith that is found there. And then you start to understand what's going on in today's gospel reading. And the remarkable transformation that faith brings, not simply for Jairus and his family, and not simply for the woman who is seeking healing, but for the whole community, even if they don't get it. Because as usual in Mark, the disciples are clueless in the crowd even more so. They are the world. They are always looking for power. They are always gravitating like moths to a light, to the halls where people put on fancy clothes and wear authority like a cloak. And yet, the life that God gives is found where there is powerlessness. Our readings this day draw us very close to the essence of our faith and why these walls are here and why we gather on Sunday mornings. It is not to be powerful. And if there is a great transition that the Episcopal Church as a whole is in the middle of, it is about putting down the trappings of power, which we had really up until the 1960s. We were the church of the powerful, right? We had a disproportionate number of people in the government of this country. Many of our churches housed the rich and wealthy and powerful in the local communities where they served. We've been accused of being the frozen chosen. Yeah. The country club church. You go down the list. We are discovering, slowly but surely and somewhat painfully and in conflict, that we are no longer that. But something amazing is happening as we begin to identify with the powerless in our midst. 
something extraordinarily transformational is coming and happening year after year, convention after convention. We are learning what it means to be with Christ amongst the powerless. One of the greatest privileges of my ministry with all of you is not wearing the fancy clothes or even standing up here on Sunday mornings to talk with you. It is when somebody comes into my office who is in desperate need. And the greatest privilege is not being able to crack open the checkbook and write a check out of the discretionary fund. Although that is one of my callings, the greatest privilege for me is to pray with them, to be with them. And as I've learned recently, to ask them to pray for us in this community and to pray for me, to recognize in them our own vulnerability. When we approach the altar of God each Sunday, we come with our hands empty and outstretched. I invite you to reflect in this hour as you do that, as you come forward for communion, what that really means. It means the same thing that David realizes in the midst of lament, our complete vulnerability and weakness in the face of everything that life throws at us, and our utter dependence on God's grace. And it is given to us in tiny portions, it seems, promising us nourishment that leads to everlasting life. And then we wonder why the world sometimes laughs at the institutional church. Of course it does. And in a way, it should. At the end of the day, these hallowed walls do not hold the power that the world perceives, but the power that God brings in Jesus, who comes among us powerless, empty even, vulnerable, tender, fully embracing the weakest places in our lives. And I invite you this summer, as you have opportunity, look for those places in your life where you can sit and be with the vulnerable, the disenfranchised, the powerless. Don't fall into the worldly temptation to avoid those places. Because you will discover if you go to those places where people are most in need, you will not simply be able to serve them, you will find yourself served in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. You will find yourselves opened, emptied, and ready to receive God's grace given for your healing, to touch perhaps the hem of Jesus' robe, discover that mustard seed of faith 
that has been planted in you that promises to grow up into great life. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.